0: yeah okay, y'all I'm, I'm i'm really looking forward to this discussion today so ross snyder from uh, the, the co-owner of uh, saturn's core has agreed to come in and spend some time with us uh, so ross first of all just thanks for making time
1: oh no problem it's my pleasure
0: and i, I wish this was a video uh, podcast so everybody could see behind you a, a wall of vhs <laughs> um is that your personal collection it is yeah yeah, yeah. Is one, one wall. one one <laughs> Uh, Have you always kind of been a collector?
1: Yeah, always for a long time. Um, I probably got into, um, you know, physical media starting with VHS, um, probably like 87, 88, something like that um, when I was very young and um, was really excited about being able to buy movies and own them as opposed to renting them. So um, I've been collecting movies ever since, really, and whatever. Form they come out so obviously I have a uh, affinity for the analog format but um you know obviously I'm into was into DVDs and Blu-rays and UHD and and on and on yeah yeah yeah
0: well um uh
1: that's great so I thought it might be fun just
0: by the way of intro there by the way I want to point people anybody listening there's a really good conversation with Ryan over at Disconnected um, the the first release, uh, I'm sorry, with you specifically to give kind of the history of Saturn's core. I think it's a great intro. Um, you've done some other interviews in the past um, and also the documentary that you made along with William Hellfire, which was the first release through the partnership label is called Mail Order Murder. And I think that's also an amazing introduction to Shot on Video as well as Wave uh, and a lot of the work that you're doing. Um, so maybe just as like a 60, 90 second teaser, can you kind of give the background of Saturn's Core audio and video, and you know where the origin of that? How y'all got involved? Uh, you and, and William Hellfire got involved, in, and and just to kind of set the the discussion that way.
1: Sure, uh, I started Saturn's Core myself in about 2014, um, just releasing stuff on VHS, um, basically licensing movies that I was a fan of, underground stuff, shot on video stuff. Um, just licensing the tape rights and putting out very small runs of 15 units, 25 units, 30 units. Um, And and that was really the only intention was to put stuff out that was either very hard to find or very expensive to find so that people could check them out. Um, Some of these movies that I, I really dug and, um, and that's pretty much the aesthetic that we're keeping now that we're a Blu-ray label is to just kind of curate you know pre-digital analog uh shot on video movies um that we are from filmmakers that we are fans of um and just help shine a spotlight on them um so you know there was never really an intention for it to become a blu-ray label but um you know that's the way the cards ended up being dealt which is awesome (laughs) so um, now we're you know able to share that stuff with an even larger audience which is great
0: there's was, there was a comment that, that uh, either you or Ryan made, I forgot, where it's just like people don't think about, mo- most people when they think about Blu ray, they think about the quality of the video itself. But what they don't think about it is from storage capacity. Uh, and I thought that was cool to be able to say, like, what with something like a shot on video film, after the transfer is done, even if it's a really nice transfer, you still have a lot of space to load it up with stuff.
1: Right. And we're, we're you know, we want to make each uh, release sort of like the be all end all release. Um, and, you know, kind of a snapshot into the era of when that movie was being made, what was going on in the life of that filmmaker at that time. So it gives us a really good opportunity to just load it up with, you know, whatever they were doing their shorts, their, you know, um, TV appearances or, uh, you know, music videos they made or anything that they have, we can put on there. Um, and, and again, you know, um, as I've mentioned before, you know, a lot of this stuff. These masters, um, analog masters, are deteriorating, um, just like film deteriorates. And so, a lot of these movies that we're putting out, um, you know, the tapes are either in really poor condition or they're unwatchable, and they have to be baked in order for us to see the image on them. Um, yeah. So, just to archive this stuff, I think is um, for people that are into this stuff is you know a good opportunity for us uh, to do that to preserve this stuff.
0: Well, I don't necessarily want to go release by release, but I think it's really cool that the, the range of films that you're all putting out as well. So No Resistance, which I believe is technically already out. I don't, I don't have it yet because I'm a subscriber, so I'm waiting for them to ship my monthly package. But that one's already out. And then Burgle from Hell were the most recent two. Um, and No Resistance was called a cyberpunk Yojimbo. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Um... <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's definitely a uh, 1994, um, you know, take on cyberpunk and futuristic technology, um, which was very innovative and interesting at the time. And some of the things in the movie were prophetic, and some of them were not. But it's still a very interesting snapshot. And again, it was made by a collective of people in Houston that um, were really innovative and were doing things that were um, far beyond their their you know budget limitations so um i think it's important for that reason and it's a movie that's really never been seen by practically anyone outside of texas really
0: and they yeah maybe maybe a few local video stores in the area when it came out or something like that right if they, yeah if they it, it played
1: it. at um a lot of film festivals in houston and got some really good write-ups um by critics from houston that are now um much bigger critics um some of whose quotes we used on the box and stuff. Um, but yeah, it had a really good reception on in Houston. And it's also interesting because the filmmakers that made it were very tied into the Houston music scene at the time. So it has a lot of um, underground uh, Houston musicians from different bands, um, mainly the Payne Teens, who not only composed the score, but um, the members act in the movie as well. Um, so. It's a it's a pretty interesting snapshot of, um, you know, what was going on in the underground in, in Houston at the time.
0: So I want to come directly back to that, because there's, there's there's something there that I want to kind of want to dig into with you a little bit. But right before that, I'm curious. Uh, obviously, Mail Order Murder makes total sense to put out as a first release. It's like a really great intro to Saturn's core. Uh, and it's a really interesting documentary as well, with all the different voices you've captured on that. Um, uh, but Then what was it about Psycho Sisters to where you wanted that to be your first kind of of out-of-the-gate representation? What is it about that film you like so much, or was it just a matter of timing?
1: Well, um, out of the Wave catalog, it's probably the most known um, because it had the widest distribution. Um, And it was the movie that introduced me to Wave um, because I had heard rumblings about it um, because it was made locally to me here in North Jersey. Um, and so I had seen ads and magazines and flyers, um, the world premiere screening actually took place at the college. That's about, um, a few miles down the road from where I'm sitting right now. Um, so I had seen flyers for that around at local record stores and stuff. And so that movie was on my radar and, um, then it showed up at my local video store. Um, and I rented it and, um, I liked it as like a regionally made, curiosity i thought it was um you know some some of the things that people seem to dislike about it i liked about it which was that the fact that um the women in it are you know the aggressors and actually take their vengeance out against men as opposed to the other way around that we're yeah. used to seeing in slasher movies um but um you know i, I had rented that and, and i got a kick out of it and then like a month later in the same video store they had a tape that appeared on the shelf called waves, most gruesome death. And they had filed it uh, erroneously in the like real death faces of death alcove. Okay. Um, so they obviously didn't know what it was. And and I didn't know what it was either because I, I looked at it and I'm looking at the back and it has the actresses from psycho sisters as Pamela such and Tina Krause. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. So I rented it and I took it home and I, I put it in and it was just an hour and a half of, staged death sequences like it would have a name of a movie like dead in the pool and then it would just be like a woman drowning but obviously staged and like we know now that like parts of faces of death were staged but this is like you know made in a guy's backyard there's no attempt of reality here yeah. and i watched this whole tape and i st- I'm like these aren't previews like i don't know what i'm watching here <laughs> but at the end it said you know if you like this mail away for the catalog wave productions po box whatever and um as someone who was interested in shot on video movies and regionally made movies, I mailed away for the catalog. Cause I was like, I got to find out like what this is, what this is all about. And then I started to get a newsletter in the mail from wave. And that's how I learned about uh, Gary Whitson, um, who was the founder of wave and the fact that they were making custom movies
0: yeah.
1: um, for, for fans basically to write and finance their own movies. And um, that's how I was introduced to the world of wave. So um Through Psycho Sisters initially, um, that kind of led to my discovery of Wave altogether. And, you know, um, the filmmaker that made Psycho Sisters, Pete Jackalone, he basically financed it as a a custom movie because he didn't have movie equipment. So he was the first person to make a movie with Wave and basically say, well, here's my money, but I want to make this movie. I want to sit in the director's chair and make it. Um, and because of that, it was more like a real movie than kind of the rest of the Wave movies. And it got distribution through EI um, Independent Cinema, which is still around today as Camp Motion Pictures, or um, they've had many u- names over the years. But Psycho Sisters was in a lot of video stores here. And as we made the documentary, we learned a lot of video stores everywhere. So we just felt like, well, this is a good, this was my introduction to Wave. So I feel like this is a good introduction to Wave for maybe someone who has no idea. So.
0: This, is, so this is the thing I love about Wave though, right? Is nowadays in 2022, anybody with a phone can basically become a filmmaker, right? And yes. Like the, with YouTube and Vimeo and on and on, Facebook, like on and on and on. There's like a million platforms to upload your videos. And if people start watching them, then all of a sudden you're a filmmaker. I mean, you're a filmmaker anyways. Right. But, but like back in the 80s and the 90s, I feel like Wave was is this funny spot where it was really kind of revolutionary in what it was doing, of like the first round of that, uh, sort of like anybody can, you know, that with the camera can become a filmmaker and get their films distributed.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it was an interesting time in the video stores as well. Um, not that Wave was prevalent in the video stores per se, but yeah, you're, you're talking about a time when um, you could buy a camcorder from Sears. And you could go in your backyard and make a a slasher movie in the woods and by hook or by crook, you could sometimes get it distributed and it could, it would sit right in your local video store, you know, next to the hidden and, you know, Leviathan or whatever the studios had to offer. You'd have, you know, attack of the killer refrigerator or (laughs) cannibal Uh camp out. And they looked the same so you would rent these things and you know i mean i loved them when i saw them but i'm sure a lot of people rented this and like oh my god this is like i could have made this why is this in the video store so it was an interesting time and that it's probably one of the last times where no budget movies could compete in a marketplace with million dollar movies and um you know there was as with the drive-in there was some trickery involved you know um and, and that doesn't happen today because everything is so – you see it instantly. If you're playing it on YouTube, you click it, and you can instantly see the budget of it, whatever it is. Right. And so that level of trickery is kind of gone. But, yeah, in, in what you're talking about, about Wave, yeah, I mean, obviously, it was before, you know, cam shows and all of that. So, you know, I, I don't know if Gary meant for it to be a custom fetish company per se but that's the the way it ended up going because his customers wanted to see certain things that they you know now you can see on the internet but at that time if your you know proclivity was to watch a woman in a red blouse drown in a quicksand bog you couldn't just go on the internet or you'd have to fast forward through 700 movies to find that scene but with Wave you could tell Gary I want to see this and he would make it happen somehow. He would dig a hole in his backyard and make a quicksand bog and he'd have the woman go down in it. And um, rather than just have that 10 minute clip though, he was at least smart enough to put it in the parameters of a two hour movie that he would create a script for and then hire actors for. And so you have this movie where it has this one scene and that one scene is what funded that entire feature per se. Um, So he also had the wherewithal to say, well, yeah, this pertains to this guy, but it also might pertain to 100 other people. So I'm going to send that guy that tape, but I'm also going to keep the distribution rights, which is why he owns the entire catalog, 400 plus movies at this point, And he's still making them um, today. Amazing.
0: Amazing. Well, yeah, I want to go back. Uh, I think that might, that might be an interesting transition to, to kind of my point. So uh, Gary Whitson, um, I want to make sure I, I got his name right. Gary Whitson, right? That's yeah. right and Andy Warhol's factory were functionally doing the same thing,
1: (laughs) right? Yeah, to some degree, sure.
0: I mean, I know there's like a small stretch there, but like, I don't think it's that big of a stretch. At the end of the day, they were, uh, you know, people were following Warhol in that sense. And he was kind of running that thing. But the the intent was to have this creative factory where people could kind of make what they wanted. And, you know, there's all these movies and and different art that came out of it. But this is to me, the thing that I think is really interesting about spending time with Saturn score. So if if you're just trying to find a Marvel movie, like watch that because that's gonna deliver on certain things that you're like looking for or whatever. Right? right? Um, But I feel like the more movies that I watch and the more I get into all the different genres of filmmaking, there's something so satisfying about seeing people in their, kind of like this most pure form of creativity. Like no one's telling them you can't do it. No one has script edits. It's just, it's like you're seeing this like completely untethered, like unfettered creativity. Uh, And I don't know, there's some wild stuff that happens in these movies. That's really like kind of surprising in a good way.
1: Oh yeah. And I mean, we're not talking strictly about Wave. That's a very small microcosm of the entire shot on video movement that happened. And yes, what you're saying is true. you know there there were no rules and you know when you're watching a mainstream movie or a marvel movie or whatever like you kind of know that there's never going to be a moment that you know where a uh, actor you know turns to the camera and starts you know singing a coolio song or what, whatever you know what i mean like there's just certain rules that are not going to be broken but in the shot on video world Anything can happen, you know, some guy's uncle can just walk through the shot and that's, you know, that's fine. That stays, you know, you never really know what's going to happen. And there is some excitement to that, Um, you know, and when these movies came out in that era, um, you know, they were pretty much reviled by film fans and film critics. Um, The mainstream, even the genre magazines didn't really cover this stuff because I don't think it was considered a film. And I think, I hope that that stigma has changed now that everything that we're watching is shot on video, pretty much. Like, yes, it's cheap, but there are tons of cheap movies that, you know, Vinegar Syndrome and Severin and tons of other companies put out that, you know, were shot on film, but, you know, you take a a Fred Olin Ray or a David Dakota movie, they were made in a a weekend, you know, Um, but they seem to always have this, leg up on the shot on video because they were shot on film, whether it be um, short ends or, or whatever the case. But I'm hoping that that stigma kind of dies down over time because there was a lot of interesting stuff that happened in shot on video world that I think was just, um, you know, uh, look, looked over um, because of the format. And um, I hope that that can change over time. Well, this is, I
0: don't know if you saw this annou- announcement, but speaking of Severn Films, they just announced the, the incredibly strange films of Ray Dennis Steckler. Um, yes,
1: I am, I am aware, yeah.
0: And so, just to your point, it's Deep Massacre videos done. They, they put out 555 five, five as one of their first titles. And there's this, this world is getting a lot of attention, um, I think, from the boutique Blu-ray world. And I think there's something interesting happening now, too, where, you know, the, for the stuff y'all put out, for example, it's obvious that you pay, or unless you do it yourself, there's a lot of thought that goes into the cover design so you have a nice slip and you have all the special features that would you would come to expect like just loaded with special features like you said the definitive editions of these movies um and I think that's really important for what you're doing because sometimes the behind the scenes story the personalities the filmmakers themselves are as interesting or more interesting than the film uh that's that's being put out I guess right
1: oh I agree but I think that's the way with a lot of films that we watch on blu-ray these days you know a lot of things i watch i'm kind of like yeah you know that wasn't that great but then you put the special features on or even in, in the old days i mean bef- before i i mean speaking of the steckler set you know we had the andy milligan set recently and yeah. um i had rented a few andy milligan movies in the 80s and i was not that into them um but then i i read you know the ghastly one that book Um, somebody recommended to me and as soon as I read the story of Andy Milligan I went out and and rented all of those movies you know from his earliest to the to the weirdo and and you know Serge and the ones that came later and I found a a much deeper appreciation for them and you know knowing the story of the man himself so um, yeah I think that certainly helps.
0: What what was it that initially drew you to shot on video film as opposed to Uh, Or or have you always been like, uh, is it a wide swath of films you've been drawn to? Do you focus here?
1: Oh, yeah. I I love all kinds of films. Um, I would say that my probably earliest film obsession was um, when I was a kid. um, I heard my brother's friends describing the Toxic Avenger. Uh uh-huh. and what happened in it and it just you know it's one of those things that you go well that that can't really happen in that movie like they can't <laughs> st- stick a guy's hands in the french fryer and they can't you know run over a little boy's head and stuff and then i rented that and again i was probably nine ten years old and it just blew my mind and um so my earliest film obsession was trauma um their entire catalog i that's mostly what I collected when I first got into uh, VHS. And at the time there was no trauma team video and there was no trauma catalog. So I would go and look at the boxes in the video stores until I found ones that said, you know, Lloyd Kaufman, Michael Herz present a trauma team release. And um, that was my earliest filmmaking obsession was the trauma stuff. And, you know, prior to that, I was a kid, I was watching, you know, Looney Tunes and Bugs Bunny. And looking back at it now, I see the correlation between, you know, uh the Toxic Avenger and Bugs Bunny. I mean, <laughs> aside from the violence and sex, they're pretty much one and the same, the the oh. attitude behind them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, my my film tastes obviously grew far beyond that, um, mostly into horror and then, you know, like everyone else into Italian horror and and beyond, and eventually into you know, art house movies and, you know, all the great stuff, you know, Boonwell and, you know, uh, Bergman and, you know, all all the great stuff. So my, my, my film tastes sort of run the gamut, but um, yeah, I mean, my, my love for movies started at the video store. and I just happened to be lucky enough to have a video store near me that had, for some reason, a lot of shot on video, blood cult, video violence, one and two uh death row diner cannibal camp out all that stuff redneck zombies i uh, rented all of that stuff and i think because of my age um being uh having grown up in the late 80s into the early 90s um you know a lot of the videos we watched on mtv were shot on video and we watched cable access all the time and the commercials that were on tv were all shot on video yeah. um, i've come to find out were made in a lot of cases by people that were making shot on video movies around here um and uh so it didn't bother me i just instantly accepted it in fact i found it very exciting um because it seemed to me like a very obtainable thing you know it's like well, i can do this you know i mean i i never did it per se but i was excited by the fact of you know um well, uh, you know, I can do this. I don't need to try to write a script and get it to a studio. I could just go and buy my own camcorder and make my own movie. So um, that excited me a lot in the same way as, you know, when I discovered punk and hardcore and, you know, when you go to a show and you can stand right in front of the stage and interact with the band as opposed to sitting in this, you know, second tier of a stadium. It was that same sort of thing. I kind of felt at one with the filmmakers and um you know for me we had conventions locally chiller theater which were just mind-blowing at that time <laughs> and you could go there and meet all these people you know what i mean so um my the right. filmmakers that i loved growing up like wes craven and brian de palma and sam Raimi, and you know you couldn't go and meet them Um, But you could go meet J.R. Bookwalter and you could go meet Kevin Lindenmuth and and interact with them and ask them questions. And so it was uh, it was very game changing for me. And that's part of that era that I love, uh, obviously, that, you know, we continue with Saturn's core.
0: What's funny you mentioned Bunuel out of all the ones that you just mentioned. I think there's a a strong tie about people. They can sit through a Bunuel movie and and like it or a Yodorovsky movie and enjoy it versus the let's call it like you start getting into the trauma movies and the actual world and the shot on video world. And like, have you ever seen a documentary that came out uh, a few years back called Giuseppe makes a movie? Um, yes.
1: yes. Yeah. Giuseppe and, Andrews. Yeah. Giuseppe
0: Andrews. But like a lot of this stuff that's being done, I think there's a very similar kind of like anarchic spirit behind a lot of these movies. Um, and I, I find doing Wells very easy to love for me. He's always one of the ones I quote as one of my favorites and and actually a big reason why he happens to be extremely talented as a filmmaker, but the spirit behind all those movies is very like he's rebelling against something. It's very anarchy kind of driven.
1: Yeah. Um, and I feel like those are the, the, the crazy filmmakers are always the ones that I am drawn to, um, you know, from Bunuel to Von Trier to Jodorowsky to Herzog, um, yeah. the ones that are notorious for, being rebel rousers and provocateurs are probably my favorites. And there is definitely some of that spirit in the SOV world um, from, you know, people like Charles Pinion and, and those that were um, doing very innovative things. And then you have literal crazy people that are making movies in the Shana video world. I mean, people that when you meet them and delve into their lives are, you know, kind of on the edge, really. <laughs> um, so there, there are a, a lot of people that are, that are really out there, you know, and then there are definitely some people that were trying to, I, I think more into the nineties, um, when you got into the nineties, whereas there was the video store thing was kind of dying down when you had, you know, uh, filmmakers, you know, like J.R. Bookwalter and Eric Stanzi and, you know, Scooter McRae and these guys, I think we're trying to prove that. They could be artistic with no money or could do something really innovative without money. So I think it was more of a proving ground than a commercial venture to try to, you know, make money off of this per se.
0: Well, if you look back, and I don't want to make too much of this point, but if you look back all the way through history and invention, right, the people that were on the fringe of invention were always considered crazy at their time, right? And I don't want to make too much of, you know, sorority slaughter. I'm not trying to compare it to the light bulb. Right. (laughs) But I do think there's something there where like because my whole life I had a very classical education, um, very classical, just in general, like very traditional path in education when I got a bachelor's degree. I've always had to defend my interest in punk rock and hardcore music. And I've always had to defend my interest in trauma. It's funny you mentioned trauma. I've got a whole bunch of stories just around trauma and dragging my wife through Queens to go find their studios and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, that was a big one for me, but one of the things that's always come up for me is like more, I've thought about like, why I like this stuff so much is because there's, there's, it, it takes a lot of courage to sort of look at what's being done and do something different, even though, you know, uh, it's going to be looked at, like people are going to look at it kind of sideways, but to just push ahead and be like, you know what? Like, I, I don't choose to follow these rules that were set up. Cause like, I didn't have a part in making the rules and like, I'm, so I'm not going to choose to accept that this is the only way to make a movie, for example, in this case, right? And I actually, like, I find there's a lot of courage in that and there's a lot of intrigue in that for me because you can take like, uh, um, oh man, I'm like, I'm gonna forget the name of the movie now, but some of this stuff in Saturn's core and in, you know, there's like uh, uh, special effects. Like you'll see somebody like kind of floating, right? Flying. Or you'll see somebody who's, um, uh, what's it called? There's another one where someone just sort of like appeared in the middle of a scene uh, or these are from the mail order murder uh, doc. So it's possible to waive and not yet on Saturn's score. Sorry right. if I'm getting them confused, but like, you know, the, the process of sitting down and thinking of how you're going to do this without a budget and, and pulling it off to, you know, varying degrees of success, but, but generally, you know, pulling it off to the point where as an audience member, you see what they're trying to do. Um, I, I think there's something really like worth celebrating in that.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it it definitely, for some filmmakers, you know, push them towards innovation um, or at least to get the gears moving um, you know how to accomplish these things and again you have that and then you have the fact that there were no rules so I mean they could do things that would never happen in a normal movie you know I mean and that's very common in wave. they just stop the narrative and swim for five six seven minutes they're just swimming and splashing and um, it just kind of hurts your brain because you're like, you know, this is not a normal. This is like an alien movie. This is like, like an alien trying to make a movie um, to, you know, entertain a human. Um, you know, and so you know that has its charm for me, but not for everyone. Um, and so, but I also think that you know, in the the failure in that innovation is what sometimes makes really great cult movies because um i think the problem with a lot of the cult movies today things like sharknado and stuff is that they're trying to be bad on purpose um and all the best cult movies as we know from plan nine to the room were made by people that thought they were making something fucking awesome <laughs> you know what i mean and just had yeah. no no concept and no mask of um what I'm doing is not good, you know? Um, and so those are the movies that, you know, I mean, we're still watching today that are, you know, unbelievable cult classics and withstand the test of time.
0: Yeah, when the filmmaker gets offended that people are laughing, that's when you know that they did it for all the right reasons. Right, yeah. <laughs> for them, it's the only thing that they just, this is like the right way to do it. Um, okay, well, thanks for going down that path with me. I, I, I like this type of discussion around what you're producing. Uh, because I want people to see these movies. I want people, if anyone listening and sees the catalog, you know, and and is not familiar with the titles and is a little nervous to dive into shot on video. Um, I I think there's the thing that I appreciate for what you've done is you've gone all over the country now and you found pockets uh, and you found movies that are really well made. It's very interesting, like a very interesting subject matter, whether it's duck which is probably one of the more controversial movies that would ever be made. Uh, I mean, given the timing of how close it was to the school shooting, or, you know, whether it's some of the creativity that went into like Red Spirit Lake. Um, I, I just, I think that there's, you, you do a lot of the curation and I, the stuff that you've put out, I found to be worth the time. So I want to draw people to this. Uh, is there a title that you like to recommend to people to get started I, uh, if, and yeah, in your catalog or?
1: I mean, it seems like um, the one that's the most beloved in our catalog is Shattered Dead, um, which I've said before is um, an amazingly innovative and important underground movie period, regardless of the format. Um, It's a a zombie film that is unlike any other zombie film and and draws inspiration from... Um, you know, Euro Sleaze and, and Jess Franco and, you know, Surrealism and, and all kinds of different things um, and underground music. And um, so um, I think Shatter Dead is probably um, the one from our catalog that seems to be connecting with people um, the most so far, um, which, you know, I'm delighted with.
0: It's a, it's a cool, Yeah. It's kind of like a, uh, it's, it's a new take on the zombie film too. Right. Cause it's, uh, I'm trying to remember the it's, is it an angel that comes down or uh, somebody comes down and impregnates somebody that becomes a zombie that way? Is that the premise?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's basically like, you know, the, they're, the, the world has is infested with zombies, but they're not really zombies. They're looking to attack you. They're just kind of zombies. They're just kind of hanging out. And, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, trying to, to make a life for themselves, <laughs> essentially, you know yeah. what I mean? So they're, um, trying to support their families and, and things and, and not in a silly way. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's not meant for laughs or anything, but, um, it's people grappling a little more with, um, you know, the fact that their, their loved one is now undead and it seems to be a normal human being, but, you know, they can't eat anymore and they can't have sex anymore and so uh a lot of interesting uh, introspective um discussions that go on in and around shatter dead um it's it's a really great um feature
0: cool well thank you for that um now i guess a little bit i, I always like you know when you're here since you're here i always like to get into like the, the business side of things a little bit just because i think people are, are always interested in hearing this side of, of it as well so You know, we've heard stories of, for example, you know, Peter Jackson's early horror movies going for the rights of those going like $150,000 just for the rights. These crazy numbers, right? So some of these movies, some of these companies that are trying to put out these definitive editions, uh, the entry point is so high, depending on the movie you're getting into, right? Um, uh, How are the rights holders for here? So when you go and talk to these filmmakers, um, are they like, what's that, you know, what's that process like? Are they generally pretty cool to work with?
1: Well... Uh, yes um, and for the most part a lot of the filmmakers that we have worked with so far are people who were friends of mine um, you know people that I've been interacting with as a fan for many 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 years um, you know even while I was doing and long before I was doing Saturn's Core I would um, you know do freelance film journalism and write about movies and in um, a lot of cases I would try to you know, interview someone like Eric Stanzi or you know and, and try to get that into a more mainstream magazine you know what I mean so um, a lot of these filmmakers I've been um, pushing the praises for over the years and a lot of them we had done tape releases for um, so it was basically with those it was very easy to kind of double back and say hey we have this crazy opportunity um, for your movie to be seen by you know hundreds of people that have no idea what this movie is or what your scene was like in missouri or wherever you're from um and a lot of these guys are still making movies it's a good opportunity for people to look at the movie and say well this is cool i wonder what this guy is making now um you know in some cases it's not going to be for everybody um there's some people that may watch it and never want to see anything from that filmmaker again but i would say that our our main hurdle when contacting filmmakers is um trying to convince them that we are not going to fuck them over um because it seems like very little money was made with these movies um in the years of vhs and dvd Um, so when you reach out and say oh we have this amazing opportunity and we're going to distribute this all over and you know people are going to be able to buy it whether it be on the vinegar syndrome side or through Diabolic or through Walmart or wherever, um, it's instantly um, you know a discussion about. Well, you know, I don't know because you know in the DVD era when this was in Best Buy, I made eighty dollars. You know, so um, <laughs> it that that's our main hurdle. You know, and all we can kind of do is say, hey, look, you know, um, we're filmmakers too. <laughs> So we, we get it in, um, you know, in the case of, you know, uh, my partner, the co-owner of Saturn's Core, William Elfire, um, you know, has been making movies since 95, 96. So, I mean, he's dealt with all the foibles uh, that these filmmakers have. So at least we can have that discussion and say, like, we know, <laughs> you know, like we've experienced this, too. And, yeah. um, you know, this is going to be a different experience and a different opportunity and you know um the only goal here is to shine a spotlight on you and your work you know well
0: um that's and speaking of that i guess a lot of the times you have a limited edition that comes out which seems like it ranges from one to two thousand depending on the title and then um some standard editions as well depending on the movie um, are the, the standard editions are they also limited or do they, do they typically stay in print
1: no um they stay in print um basically until the licensing deal is up um it can be repressed so um the yeah. standard the standard ones are around for quite a while that's
0: good i mean because if you're selling i don't know what the totals are but if you're selling two or three thousand copies i mean there's a it's not a life-changing check in there, but there's real money in there to be made for, for somebody who's trusted you with their movie. So that's great. Um, and, and hopefully it does its purpose as well of drawing attention to their movies.
1: Yeah. It see you know, it seems like a win-win in most cases. It's like, um, you're gonna, we're going to introduce this to a whole new audience and, you know, hopefully put some dollars in your, in your pocket, whether it be for, you know, um, your next production if you're still making movies you know everybody's trying to indiegogo at this point so yeah. um you know if you have if you own this title and it's sitting around and you're you know you're making dvdrs of it to bring to a convention like let's put it out there like a piece of real estate and and you know try to get it a wider audience you know
0: isn't passive income on that thing <laughs> yeah right <laughs> exactly no that's cool um and do you have a vision for kind of what's next? Like, cause y'all have been, I don't know exactly when you started, but it's been about a release a month. If, if, if you haven't hit every month, um, are you going to try to keep going with that?
1: Um, yeah. For the foreseeable future, we're trying to, um, you know, keep a pretty steady release schedule um, as much as we can. Um, and yeah, we have lots of stuff planned. Um coming up um and you know we hope to kind of stick to that same aesthetic as far as that era of shot on video stuff you know um as much as we can
0: okay yeah i hope so and do you is there a good place for people to reach all if they want to say hi like are you mostly on instagram or twitter or where, where do you uh,
1: yeah i mean we have a facebook um we have an Instagram. Um, the Instagram is probably the most active. It's uh, at Saturn's Core Audio Video, um, and you know we we post up, you know, whatever news we can about what we're doing. So that's a good place for people to check out what we're doing.
0: Great. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I missed. What What are the questions that you or what are the things you would want people to know about you? Is there anything that I missed asking today?
1: Um, no, I mean, I just, uh, I, I hope that, um, you know, people can attempt to, um, look past the format and maybe give some of these a try here and there. Um, and you know, for the people that love shot on video movies, which is a huge audience, um, you know, they're, they're sort of a given, uh, we know that eventually, we're probably going to put something out that they dig. Um, But, you know, for the people that are very film centric, um, I just hope that, you know, that uh, they give it a try at some point. And, you know, it seems like the the tide is turning a little bit on that. Um, And I, I hope that's the case, you know, moving forward.
0: There's a, by chance, have you ever seen a Pasolini movie called Oedipus Rex? Yes, I yeah. don't know this for sure, but like, I it feels like a shot on video movie.
1: Right. <laughs> right, Yeah, I mean, there was a, a lot of uh, Signal 7 and there was a lot of things, you know, uh, things uh, even um, uh Viva yeah. La Muerte has moments in it um, you know, where people were experimenting and certainly um, another scene that I love is the uh, Cinema of Transgression, the New York Underground of the 80s. Um, you know, Nick Zedd More is menstrual envy mixed film and video and um huge fan of the kuchar brothers um who started in the 50s and then i mean instantly embraced video um for the art that they were making because it was just so instantaneous you know um and you know i mean mike kuchar continues to make video films and art to this day so um there was a lot of great artists who experimented and used the format over the years yeah it's
0: it to me it just it captures the ability to put something on paper decide you want to try it and be able to do it you know without without a lot of other voices which is always for some of the best art sets so
1: yeah and i mean look at um inland empire (laughs) yeah which you you know and and the um you know, the dog me 95, the, uh, the yeah. celebration and it, <laughs> it's a, and the, the idiots by Von Trier. And I mean, there's so many great, um, movies that were made, um, using that format before the whole, you know, found footage thing and the digital thing and stuff. So, um, there is a, uh, there's a lot out there that of, of people doing very innovative things. It doesn't really, I don't personally think it makes a difference. What format you use, but, um,
0: I'm another voice for that. Um, yeah. uh, I think it's just what it's, yeah, what's going on behind the cameras or what's going on on the other side of the camera. What's what's the vision? Right. And I'll let it kind of speak for itself. Um, well, th- thank you then. I mean, thanks for this time. I think this has been great. Uh, and I, I want to, I encourage, so I think, uh, although I'm going to go with you and say Shattered Dead, uh, if people haven't seen Mail Order Murder, uh, I think not only is the story interesting, but I think it's also a very well-made documentary. And a cool introduction to William Hellfire, uh, uh, as well, um, uh, for, for just to, you know, as a, as a way of like, I mean, I know this is a film that he was heavily involved in making, right? I think it's an interesting uh, introduction there. If you were gonna point people to one of his movies, uh, where would you, do you, is there a place that you point people there?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, before hooking up and becoming friends with William, I was a fan. Um, I really loved what he was doing with his company Factory 2000 in the 90s. Um, They kind of popped up locally and were doing similar things to Wave, but he was doing it in a very uh, almost terroristic way. Um, He worked for EI, Independent Cinema, and so he was answering calls there for videos and so he knew the allure of this wave stuff and how much it was selling um, and he would get calls from customers and that would say well i, I just want to order any movie you have that has a girl in white socks that you could recommend to me so you're you know a few years later when he <laughs> seeing those movies at the time that they were distributing from todd sheets goblin to mike stanley's dead is dead and he kind of said, well, I can do this, you know, I can get a camcorder and do this. And so he started making things, well, I'll make a movie with a girl in white socks and I'll put this foot fetish in it and this strangulation in it, but I'm also going to put, you know, a, you know, a coat hanger abortion in it and people vomiting on each other. And because I want these wave people to buy it thinking it's a strangle movie and then just freak them the fuck out. Um, So Um, And, you know, they were essentially named after the Warhol factory. So he had a little collective of, of hip rock and roll kids um, that made these really cool shot on video. They're have fetish elements, but you know, they're also inspired by, you know, Franco and Argento and they have all kinds of interesting things going on. So out of those um, I was a teenage strangler is a really amazing one. Um, And you know then later on he started making more passion projects so obviously duck which we put out um the devil's bloody Playthings, is one he made a little later that is really amazing and then um you know prior to mail order murder was upside down cross which those are probably uh, the four that i would would recommend to anyone that's interested in checking out uh william's stuff aside from mail order murder of course
0: (laughs) perfect i think that's a great place to end it uh recommending some films and drawing some attention to a cool filmmaker. So uh, Ross, I really appreciate the time today. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep buying as long as you keep putting out.
1: All right. Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Awesome.